Welcome to Journal. We're so grateful that you've joined us. You know, before I get into the message, I want to talk to you a little bit about the church reopening. I want to make a few bold statements. Do you realize that we, the people, are the church? Let's not forget that we, the people, are the bride of Christ. We are the church, and we have not been shut down or closed. Actually, God is using this to take the message into thousands and millions of households for the kingdom of God. So we don't really need to be reopened. We just need to go back to a normal or a regular mode. But maybe God doesn't want that. And maybe that's why this is happening. People are essential. Buildings aren't essential. No matter what leader, governor, president, or local leader says, the only way that we know that God is essential is because something happens deep within us. We rely on God not man. And that's really what the message is today. This last Monday, we were given 13 pages from the CDC as guidelines. By Friday, it had changed a little bit, maybe maybe for the better. But basically, here's what it's given us. We can have 89 or 98 people come to the church. And that includes staff and volunteers, so about 80 or 85. Kids ministry would be limited, but it could possibly open with taking temperatures Limited singing to no singing. Coffee would be dealt with differently and snacks. So church wouldn't be normal. And you'd have to register just in case someone came in with COVID. We would be able to trace you and track you so that we can get in touch with you. And the truth is, this isn't for us at Journey for a couple reasons. One, the Park and Rec is now just engaging with us on what their new guidelines will look like. And so we're going to have to partner with them. And that could take weeks, if not a month or two. So we're going to be opening later in a building. That's tough, but that's just the way it is right now. But we are the church. So people, let's be the church. You and I and your family, let's be the church and rise up and show the world the beautiful things that God has done as we've been separated from our church body. God will and always will be essential. No president or governor or any leader can say that he's not. God is essential because he does things internally and that's what makes him essential and that pleases him. So if you're starving for fellowship, here's a couple things that you can do. Number one, you can have fellowship at your house. Open up your house and invite friends. If you're interested, let us know and we'll tell people that want to go to a fellowship place, this house is open and this house is open. Or get your community group together via online or personally and have potlucks and, and, and Bible Sundays and message Sundays and get together and have fellowship that way. That's really being the church. It's not about Sunday as the church. The church is 24 seven, seven days a week. Or lastly, here's one of the other things that we can do. Our church has always said we are kingdom focused. We are about the kingdom of God and not a little castle or, or our little kingdom called journey. So if you need to go to another church, go to another church register and get yourself in a church and let us know how it goes so that we can get some input on what your feelings were about that church. We love people. We love the church. And because of that, we're taking this very seriously and we're going to be slow to open for a couple of reasons, the park and rec. Plus, we want to make sure that our whole church will be welcome and we can do church correctly. What have you done during this time away? Do you realize this time away is done to grow you and change you and mold you into something different? There was a moment when I was locked up and I was put away by the government on a timeout. And that time was crucial to me growing. Maybe that's supposed to happen to you as well. Maybe this time that you're separated from the church is an internal growth moment 
where you can grow and learn. And if you haven't, ask God where you can grow or what you need to do to grow in your faith as we go through this season of church being distant and social distancing. You know, as I was writing this message, I put, we are going to go into a dark time. But by Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we already entered a dark season. We are going through a dark season. And it's not just because it's a political year, but yeah, it's because of political year that there's darkness around this portion of our life. But it also has to do with social media and news, how they're dividing and separating people. And it's horrible that we have to uh, kind of mourn this man's loss, George Floyd, and now there's riots and chaos ensuing. People need to be heard, and this is one of the ways that they are being heard, and we're not doing a great job of managing and hearing people and what they need. But here's the worst part for me. Christians are divided and showing the ugly side of humanity in Christianity, and we need to change. We need to be different. We need to look at ourselves and say, am I building people up and speaking life or am I tearing people down? And I know some of you are saying, everything I do builds people up. It's not always true. I look at a lot of posts and comments and communications and it's not building people up. You should ask people what they feel. You might be in the minority. God is challenging us during this time and we need to be the church. Will you be the church with me? Will you show this world what it looks like to love it one person at a time? We will be known by our love. And right now, no better time than to love the world one person at a time in and out of the chaos so that the kingdom of God will grow and the world and this country will change. Let's pray together over the next 24 to 48 hours for our country and our cities to calm down and let God and the church rise through his people. The game of chess came from India. And there's an ancient story about a king who loved to play the game of chess. And he was really good at it. And most of the time uh, he would win when he played the game of chess. And every time he would invite someone into his castle, he would uh, challenge them to a game of chess. And one day, this wise man, they called him a traveling sage, a sage at, the, at that day, a traveling sage, came in. Uh, to the town and was going to meet the king. And as the wise man came into the castle, the king said, hey, let's play a, a game of chess. And the man wasn't super interested. So the king enticed him by saying, if you win, I'll give you whatever reward you would like. So the wise man, being wise, said, sure, I'll play. About an hour later, the game of chess was over and the king lost. This wise man had won. So then the king asked, what would you like? And here's what the wise man said. He asked for one grain of rice to be placed on the first square of the chessboard and then it to be doubled on each of the following squares. The king said the request seemed to be plausible, seemed to be modest, so he brought out a bag of rice. One grain was placed on the first square, one grain, or two, uh, two grains on square two, four on three, and eight on four, and so on but it became quickly apparent that the terms of this request were gonna be impossible. By square 21, if you look at the board here, there was a million grains of rice. By 32, the 32nd square, there was over a billion and half the board wasn't being used. Small things can have a big impact. 
if they're added up together. This story is about exponential growth, but it's really about a wise man understanding exponential growth. And here's kind of the message for today. A little bit of godly wisdom each and every day will create an exponential growth in your life. A little bit of godly wisdom put together day in and day out from the word of God will exponentially grow in your life and your faith will work for the kingdom of God and for your family and the people around you. And you will live in the fruits of the spirit and watch God truly change you from the inside out. It's important that we seek God's wisdom each and every day, no matter how big or small the decision is. Even if it seems small, you seek God out for that wisdom and it adds up and it will create exponential growth. And that's what we all want, isn't it? So today, obviously, we're going to talk about wisdom. That's what the story is about or the message from James. And I want to kind of talk about human knowledge and godly wisdom. That's really the question. Where does knowledge come from? Where does wisdom come from? That's really the crux of the message. And here's my theme. Here's my uh, main thing is this. Knowledge helps us take things apart. Wisdom helps us put things back together in a way that pleases God. That's really the, the message in a nutshell. So we're going to look at the origin of knowledge and look at the origin of wisdom by what James tells us. And remember that this message is connected to controlling the tongue and many people shouldn't teach because they're going to be strictly judged. And we talked about that last week. And now he's talking about controlling the tongue. And the second part of the message is because of their wisdom. Where are they receiving their knowledge and wisdom from? Many shouldn't teach. So this is the second half of what James is trying to teach us. So let's open up to James chapter 13 or 313 and read. It says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we claim you as Lord and Savior. Father, I ask right now, wherever we're at, Holy Spirit, guide us, protect us, comfort us, bring us wisdom and let it exponentially grow into a place that we will be transformed and the world will see you through us. Father, we claim your love and victory. Holy Spirit, work right now powerfully. I pray that people feel that right now, that your love is going out and that your spirit is guiding us. We love you, King Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. So today we're talking about wisdom, true wisdom and where it comes from. James chapter one, verse five, if you remember, says, if anyone lacks wisdom, they should ask, ask a generous God and he will give it to you. That was week one. We talked about wisdom. If you're lacking it, he wants to give us wisdom each and every day. It's a guaranteed one of the things he wants to answer. And if you do it every day, it will grow exponentially. That's really a great message. But here's what it says. If you're wise and understand God's ways, if you're wise and understand God's ways, Prove it. Now, I, I was sitting at my, uh, my coffee, uh, counter the other day, reading and praying, and I came up to this statement, and I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to say about this first verse? This was like Wednesday morning early. And I sat there, and I even took a picture, and I said, prove it, and I'm not kidding, within about five minutes, I got a phone call. I got a phone call from my buddy David Jackson. I'm going to put him out on blast a little bit. And it's not uncommon for me to get a couple of calls from him during the week, a couple of uh, texts from him giving me some jokes. So I answered the phone. I said, hey, what's up? And he's like, hey, Jeff, can you give me one of the end of the sermon salvation prayers? And I'm like, sure. He goes, I could probably do it, but I got a guy in my car and we're on our way to this job. And I want you to... uh Say this prayer because he's ready. And he goes, I'm going to put you on loudspeaker. And I'm like, uh, okay. 
And all of a sudden, I'm like, I, I, I'm sitting there and I'm like, hi. And he goes, hey, this is John. And he goes, I want to be saved. So I started this prayer of salvation. Father, forgive me. And going through the whole thing that we say each and every Sunday. And this guy, John, starts to pray. And I can hear his voice trembling and I can feel the power of God celebrating and transforming and changing this man. And at the end, he said, he said, amen. And he was so grateful and thankful. And David's like, thanks, bro. We got to go. We're pulling up. And I just hung up the phone and I was so excited because this was proven it. David was proving it, showing it, doing it, living it out. He's not talking. He's not posting. He's not glorifying. He's not boasting. He's doing it correctly, living it out. Too often we pontificate and think about what it's going to look like instead of just doing. And that's what we were supposed to do. And the beauty is, as I was asking God, he gave me an example within our own church right then and there. And I was blown away. I got on my knees. I cried for about 30 minutes. I worshiped. And I'm so grateful. But a little bit later, a girl named Miley called me also and was asking about college. And she's got three great college choices. And she was seeking wisdom. And that's living it out too. Seeking someone and asking for help and going, will you join me as I make a decision? I couldn't give her great advice. All I could say is this is what we do at my house. Me and my wife are always praying for doors to open and doors to close. We'll reach back out with you in a couple of days and see what and see what happens. That's living it out. That's what she was trying to do. Get wisdom in her life each and every day and it will exponentially grow. I'm going to call her tomorrow and see what decision we should make or she should make. Living an honorable life, doing it with humility. That's what God wants. That's where wisdom comes from. And that's what he wants for us as we're looking at today's message. When you're thinking about doing it with humility, doing it and proving it and showing it, you're doing it with humility. The Greek word really means meek or meekness. And meekness doesn't mean weakness. And this meekness they use for breaking a horse. This Greek word would be like a, a horse trainer breaking down a horse so that it can be rode. It, it has to be broken so it can have its power under control. Meek is right use of power. Meek is right use of power. That's the essence. And that's what we see here. An honorable life, a humble life is the right use of God's power so that they can be in control and show it and live it and prove it by living for God. That's really the beginning of the message. And then the next few verses, we see kind of James discuss man's ways. And here's what it says in verse 14. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is some selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover it up with truth, with boasting and lying. There is selfish ambition in your heart. Don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Here we start to see in this small uh, verse a bunch of things that man does to make decisions in wisdom. Here we see the human heart, false wisdom, human knowledge, which is which is used to tear things down and 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 to tear apart and not put together back in a way that God wants. This is not of God. This is not from God. This is not God at all. God is not about jealousy and selfish ambition, boasting and lying. You know, the first part talks about jealousy. Man and women are jealous people. Have you ever been jealous? Man, it's ugly. It's not fun. And it can turn bitter and dangerous quickly. 
but a lot of times in a very healthy way. Some people are jealous about McDonald's. I can make a better hamburger. I want their money. I'm coveting what they have. I'm going to take some of their millions of dollars and take them for myself. This word bitter jealousy in Greek is envious, wanting what others have, coveting. It's this bitter heart guiding a man to make selfish decisions, a man-made knowledge making man-made decisions, and it's really producing bad fruit. You can't have a, 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 a bitter root produce good fruit. That's what we see here. Bitter jealousy will lead us down a destructive path. The second word we see is selfish ambition. This Greek word talks about or is used uh, when talking about politicians, one who self-promotes. A politician constantly is self-promoting, waving their own banner, saying, look at me, look at how great I am, and a lot of times manipulating the truth around them. Now, we can, we can kind of cast stones at politicians, but even the apostles in Luke 22, verse 24 to 30, are saying, which one of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? And they were kind of battling and talking. And finally, Jesus says, hey, those that are going to be great, the first is going to be last, and the last is going to be first. It's about serving that gets you to the front of the line. It's about being last that's going to make you the greatest in the kingdom of God. But man is the opposite. Man is ambitious, and they want everything, even in churches. This goes unnoticed a lot in churches because this, this ambitious person disguises themselves as zealous and hungry for the Lord, but they really have this inner selfish ambition. I want to be playing guitar. I want to be singing. I want to be an elder. I want to be in stage and have everybody uh, listening to me speak. That's not a healthy place to be. Human knowledge says self-promote over godly glory. Godly knowledge says God is always glorified. When you get into this selfish, ambitious place, you've got hidden motives, and that needs to be uncovered. And maybe you're watching this today and going, man, that hurts, but that's me. God wants to change that. The last two are boasting and lying. Pride loves to boast. If you've ever been prideful or you've done something, you bang on your chest, look at me. Isn't that what social media has really turned into? Half of the time or 75% of the time, it's boasting and prideful. Man's knowledge and man's accomplishments, we want to boast. And when I say man, it's both man, woman, and child. There is a way to boast for God. The Apostle Paul talks about it, but what we're talking about is boasting for man, just boasting because of things that we've done. And this is what happens, and this is how we make decisions. When God is at work, there's humility. When man is at work, there's boasting and uh, self-promoting. And the last part of this in verse 14 is lying. And this word means deceit. Man's ways are usually covered up or lied to mislead others from the truth. That's kind of the political way. It's like for me to promote myself, I've got to make a narrative so that I look good and kind of bend the truth. For me, that's what we see here. And that's where man's wisdom and knowledge is come, comes from uh, all the time. And here's how it starts. It starts with jealousy and it builds the selfish ambition, kind of political-esque. And then it starts to boast and lie to make yourself be promoted and put yourself above everyone else. When a church is, is built like that and when man is in charge, it usually has a huge downfall because that's not godly and that's not of God. A man's life should not be read on a press release or a press, uh, a press event. A man's life should be read from the father's heart. The father should look at a man's heart and say, this is how my life should be read. 
We're all going to be read that way. We just need to realize that's how we should live our life. Not selfishly ambitious and jealous, boasting and lying, but right with God. Verse 15 says this, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. This isn't God's wisdom. Here we see the, the origin of man's knowledge is not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. This is not godly. This is false wisdom. When we see this in the Greek, it means natural, which is the opposite of spiritual. This is natural wisdom, the opposite of spiritual wisdom. It's because of our fallen nature, our natural fallen nature, that humans have this wisdom, natural knowledge. But in God, we have this new nature and God gives wisdom so that this new nature can be recreated and beautiful for his kingdom. So it's not of God. The second thing is there's three enemies that we see. We have earthly, spiritual, and demonic. These are things that we need to battle. If you're looking for some more understanding, I don't want to get into it because it kind of would take us on a bunny trail, but read Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, and it kind of explains each one of those three. And basically it says we've all been there. We were all living like this until we accepted Christ and we became a new creation and we are his masterpiece. That's all of chapter two. That leads us to verse 16. For whatever, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, then you will find disorder and every kind of evil. Verse 15 talks about the origin. It's not godly. Now we see the outcome. The origin is not godly. Now the outcome is that it's disorder and there's every kind of evil. Do you realize God is not a God of disorder? 1 Corinthians 14.33, 1 Corinthians 14.33, write it down, highlight it, memorize it. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. God is not a God of chaos and confusion, disorder. He is a God of peace in every meeting, every prayer meeting. If there's two people or 2,000 people, God is a God of order, not a God of disorder and evil and chaos. Too often we we see that in the church and order needs to come so that God can really reign. So now we see where human wisdom, uh, human knowledge and, and human wisdom comes from and then the outcome. But let's look and see what James says about godly wisdom. He says, verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's from above. That's the origin. It's also peace-loving, gentle at times, willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruits of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And that verse is action-packed. There's so much, and I'm just going to unpack it in a second. But here comes one of my second points. Wisdom comes from above. That's the origin. And knowledge comes from below, man or even below, the abyss, the devil, the enemy. Wisdom comes from above. Knowledge comes from below. Verse 17, as it's talking about wisdom, it gives us these words of pure, peace, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruit, shows any, doesn't show favoritism, and is sincere. And I want to talk about each one of those because it helps us understand the origin of wisdom and how it works. Here's what it says. Wisdom is, first of all, pure. That indicates holiness. God's wisdom is holy and pure. And in that, we start to become holy and pure when we dig into his wisdom and his words. Man's wisdom leads us to war, rivalry, and division. 
God's wisdom leads to that peace. He's a God of peace, not a God of disorder. The third one is gentleness. And this one really spoke to me. A man named Matthew Arnold talks about this gentleness of being this sweet reasonableness, this moderation without compromise. And as I was looking at this, I was thinking about my wife and my girls. I've got all these beautiful women in my life and I need to be a more gentle man, one with sweet reasonableness. I need to grow in this so that I can have more wisdom, moderation without compromise, not compromising my morals and values, but having this sweet reasonableness, this gentle spirit with all these girls. That's what I'm growing in and that's what I'm taking away from this. The next word was willing to yield. Somebody that has godly wisdom is willing to yield. Man, woman, and child are hard and stubborn. Man's ways are hard and stubborn, but God's wisdom helps us be easy, agreeable, and easy to work with, easy to live with, and easy to work with. You know, some of those people at work that are always joyful and happy and easy to work with versus the hard and stubborn people. When we are yielding to God's wisdom and living a life being willing to yield, we are easy to work with. And that is a fruit of the spirit we should all have. The next part says full of mercy. Full of means controlled by. A person who follows God's wisdom is controlled by God's mercy. I love that. I want to be controlled by God's mercy. I want to be a merciful man. And I want to share in that mercy with you so that you can be a merciful person as well. The next one is good fruits, good deeds. People who are faithful are fruitful. Very simple. If you're not having great fruit in your life, you need to work on your faith. You need to open up the text. You need to reach out to us on staff and let's talk about how to be more faithful so that you can harvest great fruit. You can see it very easily in the way that you're living your life. You're either producing good fruit or bad fruit or no fruit. If you have bad fruit or no fruit, there's something in your faith that you need to work on. The next one says, when God is our single focus, that was my point for a couple of weeks. When Christ is my single focus, my faith works the best. That was something I talked about for a couple of weeks. When Christ is my single focus, we don't show any favoritism. I don't see race or color or religion or ethnicity. I don't see status, rich or poor or homeless or, or mega wealthy. I see God's child. Too often, we aren't living in God's wisdom, and so we divide and conquer, and we do human things, and we need to get this wisdom so we can do godly things, and we need this right now to transform and change our country. We need to break down the walls of division and rivalry and chaos and war and show no favoritism and grow the kingdom of God. The harvest is ripe. Last one is sincere. Man's wisdom is insincere and hypocritical. How much have we seen over the last few weeks about this pandemic? They'll say one thing and it will be corrected or revised or said wrong in a couple of days. It's because our wisdom, our human wisdom is insincere. It's hypocritical. It's not founded in God's wisdom. God's wisdom helps us to be honest and sincere. I was, I was not an honest and sincere person 20 years ago, but the more that I've partaken in every word of this Bible and used it, I don't understand it all. I still have a lot to grow, but I've made this part of my life. It's part of who I am. And when I use it, I become more honest and sincere. And that's really the fruit of living a life for God using his wisdom. Verse 18, we're getting ready to close. It says this, 
And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the outcome. Verse 17, the origin of wisdom is from above. It's pure, it's peaceful, it's gentle, it's willing to yield, it's full of mercy, it's good fruit. It doesn't show favoritism and it's sincere. That's the origin. But now the outcome is peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a, a, a harvest of righteousness. This is the beautiful outcome of utilizing God's wisdom. James is talking to us about this. Many shouldn't teach unless they're living in God's wisdom. If their human uh, knowledge is, is rearing up, they're too ambitious and they need to be put on the sideline. Let's look back at our beginning verse, James chapter 3, verse 13. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works uh, by the humility, this meekness that comes from God's wisdom. Prove it, show it, do it, live it, don't say it. Don't boast about it. Get rid of your selfish ambition, but prove it. Do it in a way that honors God and put aside your ego and your pride and your boasting. Stop lying and get rid of the selfish ambition and jealousy and just trust that God has a plan. Meekness here is right use of power. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. God gives us the right use of his knowledge. You know, James is known to many theologians as the New Testament Proverbs. It's got so many nuggets of wisdom, so many little areas to help us grow as Christians. If you've ever read Proverbs, each sentence is a nugget of wisdom that you can utilize in your life. James is the very same way. Each sentence in each section is a nugget of wisdom that can transform and change our lives. He, James, knew the Proverbs and he would use those Proverbs to help his teaching and he would want us to use them to kind of break down this message as we close. Proverbs 9 says, this is the beginning of wisdom in God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you have no wisdom and you're living too much into the world, the beginning of, of uh, wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And it says the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When the Holy Spirit takes over your life, he gives you knowledge and wisdom from God and you start to understand and see the world and God working together harmoniously and it's beautiful. And now this message, uh, Proverbs 4, 5 through 8, is really what James was trying to get through in this message. He says, get wisdom, prove it, live it, do it, get wisdom, develop good judgment. Don't forget about my words or turn away from them. Don't turn back on wisdom for she will protect you, love her and she will guard you. Now it's turned into this beautiful she. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing that you can do. It's the wisest thing you can do. So get wisdom. Whatever else you do, develop good judgment. If you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace you and she will honor her. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will honor you. Wisdom is the wisest thing that you can do and it will grow exponentially if you allow it. Here's my three points at the end. Wisdom comes from above. Knowledge, man's knowledge, it's from this earth and it's not going to take you to the places you want to go. 
My main point of the message was knowledge helps us take things apart and kind of put them together, but not in God's way. Wisdom helps them put them back together in a way that pleases God. Don't you want God's wisdom to kind of be the architect of things around you because of God's wisdom and put it in a way that will please God and honor God? In that story of that wise man, he understood exponential growth. He was a wise person. If you're wise today, you need to realize a little bit of godly wisdom each and every day, no matter how small, will create exponential growth in your life. And this is how your faith will truly work to the best of its ability in your heart, soul, and mind so that the kingdom of God will reign and that your life will be an offering to the world and there will be great fruit for all to see. I'm so grateful that you joined us today. And I want to pray. I want to pray for that lost soul, someone that doesn't have wisdom and doesn't have that relationship with God. And I want to pray for the church as well as we go through this tough time. Father, I pray for the church and I know we need to rise up and be the church. People of the church, Lord, I pray that they hear the call and pray for the next few days and weeks. That, the, that, that our country will come back to civility and that we will see the love of God roar and rise above. Lord, I pray for a revival because of this, Lord. I pray for the, the chaos and the evil to lessen. I pray for the families that have lost uh, a loved one. George, I pray, God, that you will use this time to heal our country and change us from the inside out. And Father, if there's someone there that's watching and doesn't know you, I pray right now they will receive Jesus. They will just confess their sins and they will accept Jesus in their in their heart. And all they have to do is say a prayer like David had me say for John. If that's you today, just repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart and be my savior. I know that you died so that I may live. I know that you rose again so that I may have eternal life. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Come into my heart and be my Lord and savior. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit so that I can follow you all the days of my life. I love you, Lord Jesus, and I thank you for this new life and this wisdom that you give from above. We love you, Lord. Amen.